Well, my name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy as well to welcome each and every one of you here. Um, some of you have noticed this, this little growth on my face here. I was camping last week. We were on the Colorado River kayaking, and I was going to cut it off tomorrow morning, but then somebody said to me this morning, are you losing weight? And I don't know if this has anything to do, but I, I might just see what happens here. If I can, you know, make it look like, is this a slimming effect? I could really appreciate that. As we begin this morning, I want us to think about a danger that we all face. It's a danger in relationships, a danger in how we connect with other people and so on. And, and, and it's the danger of, of putting people in a box, of putting someone in a box, of thinking that we have them all figured out. Now, let me make an important distinction here. On the one hand, we want to get to know people, right? And there's nothing wrong with getting to know people, with learning who people are, with trying to understand who they are and figure out how they think and so on. And that's all good. But it becomes a problem when we start to then say, okay, we got this person all figured out. We can put them in a box. I know this, this, and this about them. I know who we voted for. I know who, uh, who, what bumper sticker she has on her car. I know this. So therefore, I know. And what happens when we put somebody in a box is we don't listen to them anymore. Right? We already know how they're going to come out on that issue. We already know how they're going to talk. We already know their argument. And so we don't even have to listen to that person anymore because we've got them all figured out. Sometimes kids do this to parents, Right? Right? You're 15 years old, mom and dad start to talk, and all you're hearing is yada, 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 right? Because I know what mom and dad always say on Friday night. I know what the speech is all about. I know what it is. I know how they're going to handle this. I think sometimes we as parents do this to kids. We don't listen to them because we know what they're thinking. We know what they're going to do. We know what they, and, and we don't even listen to them. And so we put somebody in a box, and we label them, and then in a sense, we just dismiss them. I mean, they're just that left-leaning liberal, right, tree hugger. They're just that right-wing radical Republican. They're just that, and we don't have to talk about them anymore, talk to them anymore, listen to them anymore, because we got them all figured out. It's a danger, right? I mean, to put somebody in a box stops us learning, stops us growing. It's a danger to do that, I think, to anybody. I think it's bad for us to do that to anybody, but there's actually even a bigger danger than that, and, 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 and that's putting Jesus in a box, uh, of thinking that we have Jesus all figured out, of thinking we know exactly what Jesus thinks about everything. Now, again, make that distinction. I'm not saying we don't try to understand Jesus as best we can. We do. We try to learn. We try to understand. We try to see how he thinks, and we try to think like Jesus and love like Jesus and serve like Jesus and do all of those things. But, but sometimes we, we end up kind of putting Jesus in a box. Maybe you've heard somebody say in the last year or so, you know, I, I know Jesus would never vote for Hillary, Donald fill in the blank. I've heard them all, right? And Jesus would never do that. I know this. Jesus would never do that. Let's be a little careful. Again, I'm not saying we can't know anything about that, but but we have to be a little careful when we start to claim, I know exactly where Jesus would come out on this issue. I know Jesus would never show up at a place like that, right? Jesus would never go to that bar. Jesus would never go to that whatever. Jesus would never do this, that, whatever it is. As some of us have parents, or, or maybe you can, some of you can remember saying, Jesus would never go to a movie, you know, Jesus would never go inside that theater. He would never. And that was when they were showing the sound of music. I mean, come on. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, Jesus would never do that. And we know exactly where Jesus would go, and we know where Jesus wouldn't go. Or sometimes we say, well, my Jesus, and that's always a dangerous thing. <laughs> it's always an indication you might have Jesus in a box when you start to say, my Jesus. My Jesus wouldn't get angry like that. My Jesus wouldn't talk that way. My Jesus wouldn't do that. Or my Jesus would get angry at that. 
my angry Jesus would get really angry at whatever. And, and, and again, I want to be careful. I'm not saying we can't know anything. But, but I want us to recognize. I want us to, to recognize that we have to be careful because one of the things we learn as we go through Scripture is that Jesus was full of surprises. Jesus was constantly breaking apart the assumptions of the people around him, those who loved him and those who didn't like him. He was constantly doing the, the unexpected things. And, and so this morning, as we continue our series on the questions of the last week, the questions that were posed either by Jesus or about Jesus during the last week, uh, we, we turn to one that really was not just in the last week but throughout his life. One of the questions people asked about Jesus again and again, who is this? Who, who is this? Because once I thought I had him figured out, then he did this, and I know he doesn't fit there. He, and, and, and then he does this, and man, he doesn't, I can't tell if he's a Democrat or a Republican. I can't tell. Where, where did he come out on all this? Who is this? What box does he fit in? This question was asked a number of times of Jesus, like I said. Let me tell you just a couple of them before we get to the one we're gonna, main one we're going to look at. But when Jesus was with his disciples one time, he had been uh, teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. He does that, and then uh, the, the next day or so, Jesus leaves, and he goes across the Sea of Galilee. He and the disciples, they get into a boat, and they're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is tired. He lays down. He falls asleep. A storm comes up in an instant. And the, the boat is getting rocked all over the place. The disciples are scared they're going to drown. Jesus, uh, they wake him up, and, and he turns. And he says, you guys don't understand this yet. But, and he turns to the water and the wave, and he says, peace, be still. And Jesus calms the stormy sea. And the disciples, they, they respond this way. They say, the, the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of a man is this? It doesn't fit into, I, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this guy? I mean, we've been with him for a while, but, it, I mean, it was just shocking. And, and then another event. Jesus is at a, a home of a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, a, a holy man by the name of Simon, and, and, and having dinner and, and talking about him. And again, we need to remember that Jesus had dinner with not just all the sinners. He had dinners with the holy people, with the poor and the rich. Jesus was breaking down all these barriers. He didn't fit into our boxes. But he's there at Simon's house. And this woman comes in. And she was a woman of ill repute, a prostitute of some sort. This woman comes in and she pours oil on his feet and she washes them. And the guys who are with him are going, hold on, who is this Jesus? I mean, he's a teacher. We know he talks about God. We know he does good things. But yet, he lets this woman come in, and she touches him, and he doesn't stop her. He doesn't understand who she is. He doesn't, you know, what is going on with that? And then Jesus takes it a step further, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus forgives this shady lady of her sins. And again, the people around her are going, whoa, time out. Who is this? The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Now he's forgiving sins? I mean, it's one thing to, I mean, is he holy? Is he not holy? Does he, and now he thinks he can forgive sins. Who is this? And then the one we're going to take time to look at today, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and everybody's cheering him on as the king and the savior. And, and, and there's this whole procession, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But they come into the city of Jerusalem. And, and Matthew tells us in chapter 21 that the whole city was stirred up. The whole city, the Romans in the city were stirred up. The, everybody was agitated, all right? The whole city was stirred up. 
And they asked this question. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who is this? And so I want to ask that question with you this morning, to try to take a look and to, to, to think about what it means to ask that question and what it means to start to answer that question about who Jesus is, about what he's about, and, and, and about why he was in some ways really reluctant to take any labels whatsoever, because Jesus doesn't like boxes. So let's talk about this one. All right, here's the setting. All right, it's four or five days before Jesus is crucified. It's a Sunday, Monday of that week. We're not exactly sure which day it was, um, but it's four or five days before Jesus is crucified. It's the beginning of Passover week. Okay, and and it was it was Passover week was a combination of of, of spring break and the Fourth of July for us. Okay, it was a week of vacation. It was on the one hand, it was a national holiday. It was Independence Day. It was a day to make Israel great again. I mean, right that way, I mean, in some ways, that was the slow. We're going to make Israel great again, which was important and challenging because Israel was under Roman occupation. So, so to, you know, to say, you know, Independence Day, USA, USA, if somebody else is our controllers, that's a dangerous thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to do. It was a national holiday, and, and so the whole nation was riled up. It was also a family holiday. And people were together in their families, and they were celebrating this. And so part of what that meant is everybody who could would get to Jerusalem. And, and the city of Jerusalem would swell by about five times its normal population. So think of a city of 100,000 having a half a million people in it. Okay, and, and, and just having everybody crammed into these spaces, and everybody's there. It would just be absolutely packed with, disciple, with, with, with people. And so Jesus and his disciples are about a mile and a half away, okay? They're in Bethany, maybe staying again with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They're about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. And, and what they would do every day is they would go into Jerusalem. The walk into Jerusalem would start in Bethany for them. And they'd come up to a village of, called Bethphage, which was on top of the, the Mount of Olives. Bethany was kind of up here, and then Bethphage would come along. And then, and then down into the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives, Kidron Valley, and then up into Jerusalem. Okay, and so that's where Jesus was right on the top of the Kidron Valley. He and his disciples are, are right approaching Bethphage, all right? And <clears throat> here's how Matthew tells the story. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, all right, so they're just coming up to the city, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. I don't know if Matthew intends some humor here, but if you really stop and think about it, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the, of the disciples here, right? You've been following Jesus for three years. He's morally perfect. He's never done anything wrong. And now he says, okay, go to that village and commit grand theft donkey. All right, go there, steal me a donkey, okay? Right? I mean, I, I gotta, it's kind of like, time out. What do you mean just go grab this guy's donkey? And, and, and I imagine they had a little bit of confused look on their faces because Jesus says, oh, if anyone says anything to you, Say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. It's taken care of. You're not going to get arrested for stealing the guy's donkey, okay? So just go there, get the donkey, get the colt, and bring them to me. So the disciples do that. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. All right, so Jesus is now at, at, at Bethphage, uh, probably maybe on the other side by now. But he's coming down the Mount of Olives, and then he's going to go up into Jerusalem. Jesus is fairly famous at this point, okay? He has done miracles, he has done teaching, he has, and, 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 and people have tried to rally around him at different times. They've tried to make him the king. 
different times. They've tried to, to make them do different things and so on. And, 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 and recently he had just raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. So that word had gotten around. It certainly had gotten around to Jerusalem. And, and so you get together and there's all this talk. So somehow word gets out as Jesus and the disciples are coming down. Somehow word gets out in Jerusalem that Jesus is coming into town. And, and there's a, a kind of a flash mob, right? Everybody starts to go out. They start to come out into the Kidron Valley and maybe up into the Mount of Olives there. They're all gathering out. And, and they do kind of three things as they go out there, Matthew tells us. First of all, they go out a very large crowd and they spread their cloaks on the road. All right, so Jesus is riding this donkey and they're taking off their coats and they're, they're laying them on the ground. They spread their cloaks on the, on the ground and the donkey is walking on. What's the significance of that? What, what, what does it mean that they spread their cloaks on the road? In order to get an answer to that, we've got to go back to 2 Kings 9, okay? Let me give an illustration of, of why they did this. 2 Kings 9, there's a guy by the name of Jehu and the prophet uh, comes to him, okay? God's man, the prophet, comes to him and says something to him kind of quietly, Nobody else hears it. And, and, and it's fascinating. You should read the context of this. But, but you know, they say, Jehu, what did he say? And, and, and Jehu basically says, man, the, the prophet, the man of God is a maniac. The guy is just crazy. Don't worry about what he said. Nobody needs to listen to it. And then they say, that's not true. They said, tell us. Jehu said, here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Okay, so he's been anointed king, and look at what happens. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. All right, what did they do? As soon as they found out the king was there, they took off their coats. You see, kings, kings don't walk on the bare ground. Kings, kings don't touch the dirt. Kings have people put stuff on the ground for them, and they walk on that. And so as soon as Jehu is declared king, everybody takes off their coats. So you can't be touching the ground, man, because you are the king. You are God's anointed. You are the important one. You are in charge. You are large, all that stuff. And, 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 and so when they are putting their coats down, what they're saying, Jesus is king. Saying, Jesus, you, we, we, we are ready to follow you. You are the one who is the king. And they put, those, they put those coats down and they're saying that. And the second thing they do is they, they cut branches. While others cut branches from the trees, and we know from John's gospel these were palm branches, and they spread them on the road. Again, what does that mean? Why would they throw branches on the road? This one, we go to a story in the book of First Maccabees. And, and let me just say, this is one of those books that is, was written between uh, the end of what we call the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And some Christians say these are part of the Bible. We don't. We say they're good books, but they're not part of Holy Scripture. They're not part of the Bible. So First Maccabees. And what this tells the story of at this point is, is of Simon Maccabees leading a rebellion and setting Jerusalem free, okay? Throwing off the oppressors, okay? And, and this is what happens. On the on the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, that's 141 B.C., the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches. Okay, they, they came in, and it was the palm branch was the signal of their victory. Simon won. The enemies are gone. They came in with palm branches and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Simon was the conqueror. He was the hero. He was the savior. Simon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. So once a year, they would get out flags, palm branches, right? 
And that would be the symbol that we have conquered our enemies or that we did it in the past and we're going to do it again, okay? And so these palm branches, again, what they say is that Jesus is going to set us free. He's our hero. He's our savior. He's the the one who is going to lead the rebellion. So this is a deeply political event. This is a powerfully political event. This is part of the reason. The Roman soldiers were nervous before. Now they're very nervous because of all this political stuff going on, because of all these challenges going on. So the third thing is the people shouted, all right? Took off their coats, they put down the palm branches, and then they shouted. The crowds went ahead of them, and those that followed, both of those groups, they were just shouting. Shouting, first of all, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David. Guess what? That means he's the king again. When your days are over, 2 Samuel 7, this is God's promise to David before he dies. God promised in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are over and when you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So there's a king coming, the son of David, and Jesus was in the line of David. There's a king coming. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So to call somebody the son of David is to say, you're the one. You are the king. And so they're throwing their coats down. They're raving the palm branches. They're saying, Hosanna, praise, honor, blessing be to the son of David, to the one who is the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This goes back to Psalm 118, okay? Again, all of this stuff is so rooted in in their traditions. Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he, exact words. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. Who is he? He's the one who saves. He's the one who grants success. In verse 25, it's Lord, save us, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so again, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the one who's going to set us free. Jesus is the one who's going to make everything new. And then they say, Hosanna in the highest heaven. So there you have it. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and, and, and people are saying he's the Savior. They're saying he's the King. They're saying he's the Savior. They're saying he's the conquering hero. They're saying that he is the one who's going to rescue them. And, and this is something that's really important. And, and, and we wouldn't necessarily recognize how unusual this is unless we stop and think about it. But Jesus lets them do it. He doesn't stop them. He doesn't stop them. And I'll tell you why that's important in just a minute. The next verse is the question. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Is he the king? Is he the savior? Is he the hero? Is this about rebellion? What's going on here? For three years, this is so interesting. For three years, Jesus, the people have been trying to, to, to declare that Jesus is the king. They've been trying to say, Jesus, you're the savior. You're the, you're the Messiah. You are the one who is the king. You're the Messiah. You're the, the, the conquering hero. You are the one who is all of this. Like I said earlier in the Gospel of John, we're told that they came to make Jesus king by force, right? They were ready for the rebellion. They just needed the face, and Jesus was going to be the face. Jesus snuck away. For three years, Jesus avoided the question. Jesus said, just be quiet. And, and, and he did everything he could. But I want to suggest that this is the moment. This is Jesus' coming out party. This is the moment as he rides into Jerusalem. This is the moment where Jesus is saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. And he wants us to know who he is. And he wants to say three things about who he is. First, he says, you know what? You're right. 
you got me. I am the king of kings. I am the ruler of all. Again, he comes riding into Jerusalem. As far as I know, this is the only time Jesus rides. Other than this, he's always been walking. But now he rides, and royalty rides. Again, the people throw down their coats. Jesus lets them. They, 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 they throw down, and they, they call the name. Uh, they call him Jesus, the son of David, and, and, and Jesus lets them. Jesus says, you're right. I am the king of kings, and I am the ruler of all, but I'm a different kind of king. So I think Jesus was so reluctant to use terms like king because of the way we always put him in a box then. Jesus wants to say, I'm a king, but you don't understand who a king really is. I'm a king, but you don't understand what it means to be a king. And so that's why he comes in riding a donkey, not a big white steed. He's a king who comes on a beast of burden. He's a king who comes in a way that's gentle. If you were really sharp, you noticed that I skipped two verses when I was reading through this earlier. Verses 4 and 5. Look at them now, all right? Uh, Matthew 21, 4 and 5. This took place, that he got the donkey and so on and was riding it. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And, and Matthew takes two prophecies. First from Isaiah. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you. Okay, he is the king. He's riding into Jerusalem. He is the king, but he is gentle. And he's riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is the king, but he's a king on a donkey. He's a king who comes and he's gentle and humble. And he's a king who comes in order to serve. He is a king who comes to give himself. And he's a king who's going to die for his people. In our world, kings come to be served. In our world, kings send their soldiers out to die. But in Jesus as king, he is a king who doesn't say, I'm going to destroy all your enemies. He says, I'm going to love all your enemies. He doesn't say, I'm going to make this nation great. So often I think what happens, and let's face it, we can still fall into this today. We say, Jesus, be the king of our nation. And what that means is we have you on our side, and you can kick the tails of everybody else. So Jesus, we want you to be king, but not of the world, right? I want Jesus to be the king of the good old U.S. of A, and I want him to take on our enemies and get rid of them. So Jesus, you are the king of our, no, Jesus says, that's the problem. You don't understand. Yes, I am the king of kings, but I am not tied to one nation. I'm a different kind of king. I do things in a different way. I'm a king who does not hold power, but who uses power to serve others. I come riding on a donkey. Don't you understand that? Can you get it? I, I want to break out of your boxes, and we need to be so careful about this because, again, it's so easy for us to turn Jesus and to the guy who's going to just, just knock around all our enemies, who's going to make life good for us, who's going to grant us success. As a king, Jesus is not first and foremost about granting us success. First and foremost about creating us more and more into being who he created us to be. He's a king, but he's a different kind of king. Second thing he wants to say is, I'm a savior. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. Okay, you got me. You're right. The palm branches... I am the one who's going to set you free. The one who comes in the name of the Lord, yes, I am the one who's blessed because I come in the name of the Lord. But again, I'm a different kind of Savior. I'm a different kind of Savior. And it was so hard for them to get this. But he came to save them from their sins. He comes to save us from our sins, not from the Romans. See, what I want to say is, God, save me from those bad people in my life. God, save me from that. And Jesus, you need a Savior, but the first one you need saving from is yourself. 
Run. It's, it's not, first of all, you don't need saving from anybody else. You need saving from your own self, from your sin, from your self-centeredness, from your desire to be in control, from your desire not to listen to me. The first person who needs saving is, is, is me. And, and, and Israel wanted Jesus to be a savior, but by that they meant, don't change us, change them. Because save us from them, not ourselves. And Jesus calls us to repentance. And I think about that. And I think about what that means about how we should live as Christians. I mean, just stop. And if we as Christians, if, if we had learned, and, and we're trying to learn, okay, but as we learn more and more to recognize that the first person who needs saving is me, that the first gift is God's grace to me, that I need to repent, that I am a sinner, that I am broken, I, I think we would learn to be a lot more humble, Arrogance has no place in our faith, friends. It has no place in how we act in this world. Because it's not just them out there who need saving. It's me who needs saving. It's not just those bad people. It's this bad person. And I need Jesus to come to me and to rescue me. I need a Savior, but not a Savior from you. A savior first from me. So yeah, I'm the king, but not the kind of king you think of. I'm a savior, but I'm not the kind of savior you think of. And yeah, I am a hero. <laughs> I am a winner. I'm a conquering hero, okay? I am. I'm worthy of every Hosanna. I, I have more power than all your enemies. I am, yeah, Simon Magnus is nothing compared to what I can do to my enemies. But again, I'm a different kind of conquering hero. Because he conquers by love. The weapons he uses to overcome his enemies and our enemies are love. He conquers death by dying. He he conquers all. And he will give his life so we can live. And and I wonder, how do we as Christians, do we live that out? That, That the way of being a hero, the way of conquering our enemies is by love. The weapon God has given to us is love. When your spouse is out of line, you know what God calls you, the weapon he gives you to get her back in line? Love. Dying. Isn't that fun? God, you're not, yeah, I got I to gotta straighten her out. He said, okay, say, do it the same way I straightened you out. Oh, nuts. Can we find a different way? How about I just tell her what she needs to do? How about I give her the cold shoulder until she straightens out? Jesus says, what, just, yeah, if that's what I did on the cross, go ahead and do that. How does, he's a conqueror. He is. He is going to, every song we sing about the victory of Jesus is absolutely right, but he conquers by love. He conquers by serving. Yes, Jesus is the king. Yes, Jesus is the savior. Yes, he's the conquering hero, but he is a different than we expect. And so let me wrap this up and, and just talk about four things real quick. Just mention them because they've been there all along, I think. First of all, I want to just encourage you, and especially during this Holy Week, that we need to just let Jesus be Jesus. No boxes, friends. No, no boxes. When we say, okay, I know how Jesus is going to feel about this, we need to say, you know, but he was full of yes buts, right? Yeah, yeah, he, but he also is this. Yes, he called people to radical holiness, but he spent time with sinners. And yes, he spent time with sinners, but he called them to radical holiness, okay? And we tend to be one or the other, in some ways, I want you to be yes, but people. <laughs> yes, but also this. 
Because Jesus does things upside down. We've got to be so careful of the boxes that we put people in. Second, I want to just suggest, and, and this is a great week to do it, to be deeply aware of our selfishness. That just as the people of that day were saying, Jesus, we will worship you if you give us what we want. Jesus, we will declare you king as long as you conquer our enemies. We will, we will recognize you're the savior as long as you don't hurt us. And I can still do that. My tendency is to make Jesus all about me and my Jesus. And I gotta say, no, Jesus, you be Jesus. I need you. I don't need my idea of you. I need you. You see, that's so, it's so dangerous. We put Jesus in a box. And the Jesus in the box, he, he doesn't... He can't, the one that I put in the box can't save me, in a, in a sense. You know what I mean? I, I, because cause what he's got to do to save me is he's got to break me. So I need to say, Jesus, help me to know how difficult it is to really surrender to you because I'm so selfish. And as we think about him going to the cross, we recognize that. And, and, then, and then third, we need to learn to love and serve like Jesus. We must learn that our weapon for conquering is love, and it's serving. And yes, I'm not saying we don't speak the truth, but we always speak it in love, and we die for our enemies the way Jesus died for us. And then when all that gets to be too much, you just remember, Jesus loves us even when we mess up, okay? I mean, I got to this point, and I went, well, this is really lousy because I'm not this kind of a person. And I'm not very good at it. And so I, I'm trying to get better every day. That's what discipleship is, is trying to get better every day at it. See Jesus more, know him more, follow him more. But I do that knowing that he absolutely loves me, even though I blow it. And, and so this week, as we go through Holy Week, here's my prayer for you, and, and I invite you to pray it as well. But Jesus, forgive us when we put you in a box. And just help us this week to see who you really are. So let's, let's pray together and then we'll spend some time worshiping as well. Father, we, we so often have our categories. And sometimes we let our categories control you rather than you control our categories. Forgive us for that. You are full of grace and truth. Help us to learn how to be full of both. We're one or the other. Father, teach us what it means. To, to, to be people who are first saved, who, who recognize that we needed saving just as much as anybody else, and who live with that humility and that assurance and that grace. And so now, Father, we just recognize the amazing gift you've given to us through the cross, the life and the death, and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.